Just two short but powerful verses. First Peter four verses ten and eleven. The apostle writes As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, once again, we thank You for the awesome privilege that we have to open up Your Word And Father, as we do so, I pray that You would help this weak pastor to proclaim Your Word. I pray that I would speak as one speaking Your oracles. And I pray that I would do it in the strength that You provide so that You would be glorified through Jesus Christ. So that Your church would be strengthened. So that Your people would be built up. And it's in Christ's name that we ask these things confidently. Amen. Maybe seated. We're currently in a series entitled Stewards of a Sacred Trust. Stewards of a Sacred Trust. I got that title uh, from Matthew 25:14 when I was studying for the first message in this series. In that passage, Jesus, Jesus tells the parable of the talents. And in verse 14, He says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Now, of course, the man that's going on a journey represents God. And this is God entrusting his people with his property. And I thought that surely is a sacred trust that God would give his property to us. And it surprised me a little bit. But actually, it shouldn't have surprised me really because this is how God has operated since the creation of the world. Literally. Now, it's fascinating when evolutionists read Genesis chapter 1 and they read about God creating the world in six days, they're taken aback by that. Because how could God have created the world in six short days? Surely it must have taken billions and billions of years for the world to come into existence. After all, it takes a very long time for something to come into existence out of nothing. Now, Christians, on the other hand, they read about God creating the world in six days. And they likewise are amazed by God creating in six days. But they're surprised for the exact opposite reason. They're wondering why God took such a long time to create the world when He could have created it in six nanoseconds. So why this long, drawn-out process of creating the world in six days? The answer is very simple. Because God wasn't just creating the world. God was also giving us an example to follow. God basically said, I work six days and then I rest. 
And that's what I'm calling you to do. You work six days and then you rest. Following my example. In a sense, when God created the world, He said, now I began creation, created the heavens, the earth. Now man, and at that time it was just Adam and Eve, but He said, now I want you to take over what I've begun and finish the task that I've started. In other words, I want you to exercise dominion over creation. Often we refer to this as the dominion mandate. You kids know what that means, that big term. Dominion mandate. Basically, it just means rule or conquer the world. And we see this right in Genesis chapter 1. This is what we read in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That's the dominion mandate. Let mankind exercise dominion over all creation. And actually, we see the same thing in Psalm 8. Beginning at verse 3, the psalmist writes, When I look at the heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things Under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the seas. So God creates man in his image just a little lower than the angels. He crowns him with glory and honor and he tells him to have dominion over the works that he has established. And he tells us to exercise dominion. So we really are stewards of a sacred trust. Now this morning, I want to look at another element of this sacred trust that we have. And this morning, I want us to look at the fact that we are stewards of God's grace. Stewards of God's grace. And that title comes right out of verse 10. As each has received the gift, use it to serve one another as good Stewards of God's varied grace. Now, I have read that passage many times over the years. But about a year ago, it hit me in a way that it never had before. Have you ever had that experience? You're reading through the Bible and you read a verse and you've read it many times and then all of a sudden you're like, wow, that that is amazing. I never saw this before. I had one of those experiences about a year ago. And actually, it hit me with the subheading of this passage, but it's right out of that verse, where the subheading in my Bible says, Stewards of God's grace. And it hit me. I just thought, wait a second. We human beings are stewards of God's grace? God's grace? Think think about that for a minute. Don't just let that rush right past you. We are stewards of God's grace. What does God's grace do? 
Well, we know, first of all, that we are saved by grace through faith, and it's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. We know that we are also sanctified by grace. Titus 2, 11 and 12 tells us that the grace of God that brings salvation also teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. We also know that we are empowered by grace to work hard. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, Paul said, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me was not in vain. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. We also know that we are strengthened by God as we feel weak, as we go through difficulties. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul cries out to God three times to take away the thorn in the flesh. And God says, no. But then in verse 9, he says, but my what? Grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And we know as biblical Christians, every single blessing we have comes from the grace of God. And now God says, I want you, man, to be stewards of my grace. Do you see why I was blown away? God has to some degree, in some measure, entrusted His grace to us. That, that just floored me. Now, specifically, in verse 10, being a steward of God's very grace means being a steward of the spiritual gifts that He has given to us. See that in verse 10? As each one has received a gift, and that means a spiritual gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So God's grace is in our lives through spiritual gifts. The word grace in Greek is charis. Charis. Uh, the word gift here in our passage, that's sometimes just translated spiritual gift, is charisma. And just sounding that out, I think you can see the connection. Charis, charisma. It is a gracious gift of God. Now, I am linking these two on purpose because there is a profound connection here that I don't want you to miss. Just to get very practical, let's say that you have the spiritual gift of evangelism. You have that gift. You're very adept at telling people about Jesus Christ and you see success. Uh, what happens when you tell people about Christ and God's involved and they come to Christ? They are saved by grace through faith. But this is what I want you to see. The grace abiding within you through the gift of evangelism, comes out and God uses that and sometimes people come to Christ. Or maybe you have the gift of preaching and teaching and you open up God's Word or you explain to someone, even, even a friend who's going through a difficult time, maybe you just give them a verse in passing, but God uses that. And they are comforted or they are strengthened for the trial that they go through. They receive grace from you using your spiritual gifts. Maybe you just simply have the gift of helps. 
and you bring a meal to someone in need. And maybe they were overwhelmed that day by all that they had to do, but you brought them a meal because you thought it would help them out. And they are encouraged through that. And that simple act of using the spiritual gift of help, bringing a meal, was grace to them. It built them up in what they were going through. God's grace comes to people through us. Isn't that an amazing thing? Now, some of you might be thinking, wait a second. Isn't God sovereign? Absolutely, God is sovereign and He can use His grace however He wants. And sometimes when we talk about the sovereignty of God, people will say, God is sovereign. And if He is sovereign, well, why pray? Uh, why have family devotions, we could ask? Uh, why bring a meal to someone in need? Why open up God's Word? If God is sovereign and God works sovereignly. Because God has ordained the means as well as the ends. Did you get that? It's very important. God has ordained the means as well as the ends. Yes, God has chosen us in Christ and He did that before the creation of the world. But also before the creation of the world, He ordained the means as well. Think about how you came to Christ. I can think of how I came to Christ. God used my mother saying, let's go to this new church. And I said, okay, let's go. And then God used that church. And as I sat there and I listened to the message, I walked out of church. And for the first time in 20 years of going to church, I said, that was a good message. I was convicted. I, I opened up my Bible. I read Christian books. I was turning on Christian television, Christian radio. God was speaking to me and my life was changed by the sovereign grace of God that came through various means. Do you see how that works? God works sovereignly through instruments such as ourselves. His grace flows through us. That's the emphasis of the passage here. His grace flows through us and it is a tremendous honor and a tremendous privilege. Now, this morning I want to ask, how can we be good stewards of God's very grace, God's spiritual gifts? And I have very, three very simple answers. First of all, by recognizing that you have a spiritual gift or gifts. Recognize that you have a spiritual gift or gifts. And everybody does. Verse 10 is very clear. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? If we were to go around the room right now, if I was to say, let's just take a little time out here. Let's go right around the room, one at a time. Uh, what's your spiritual gift? Would you be able to say, uh, I think this is my spiritual gift, or I think these are my spiritual gifts. It really is important to know that. Uh, there are five different lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. They include such things as teaching, serving, exhortation, giving, mercy, hospitality, evangelism, leadership, encouragement, administration, knowledge, wisdom, discernment, and 
the list goes on. I don't think any of the lists are meant to be exhaustive. I just think uh, the writers are helping us to see what some of the gifts are so that we can recognize um, what gifts we might have. Everybody has a gift, at least one gift, maybe more than one gift. And let me say that it's a powerful gift. Sometimes we talk about uh, charismatic gifts and then ordinary gifts. I hate that division. And I don't think it's biblical at all. I already gave you the Greek word for gifts. Charisma. Do you know what English word we get from that? Charismatic. Charismatic. Everybody has a supernatural endowment from God. It's not like, oh, there's certain gifts over here that are supernatural, and then there's just ordinary, everyday gifts that are not supernatural. Every single spiritual gift is supernatural. You are infused with power from God. Which is why someone with the simple gift of help who may just pass out a bowl and with someone coming in the church a month later may be surprised when they said, you know, when I came to church and you welcomed me, I felt so welcomed. How could that happen? Because God was working supernaturally through someone just extending a hand, giving them a bulletin, maybe giving them a hug if it was will. Ordinary gifts. No, no, no such thing. The ordinary grace of God operating in your life? I mean, think about what we're saying. The ordinary grace of God. There is nothing ordinary about the grace of God. Every single one of you has a spiritual endowment by God. Now, by the way, when God hands you a spiritual gift, and I know you don't usually think of it in these terms, but when God hands you a spiritual gift, and I think it happens at conversion, what exactly does God hand you? And, and I'm stating it that way on purpose because I'm trying to be real tangible here. What, what is God handing you? He's handing you grace, right? But oftentimes I think we think of a spiritual gift as God doing something inside of us and He is doing something inside of us. But I think we can be even more precise here. When God hands you grace, when God hands you a spiritual gift, as it were, He is handing you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And I can back that up by turning to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is another passage that talks about spiritual gifts. And beginning in verse 4, we read, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activity, but it is the same God who powers them all and everyone. To each is given, notice this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What is a spiritual gift? 
It is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in your life. Then why do we have different gifts? Because the Holy Spirit manifests Himself differently in different people. So when God gives you His grace, when God gives you a spiritual gift, He is giving you the Holy Spirit. I find that amazing. A while back, I was listening to a pastor and he was talking about all these greetings that we have in the epistles. And he said, have you ever asked this question? You might have a greeting like this, and this is 1 Corinthians 1.3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, have you, have you ever looked at those greetings and wondered, where is the Holy Spirit? You know, he, he said that and he grabbed my attention and, and I thought, I, I have wondered that because sometimes you have reference to the Holy Spirit, but I have wondered that because I'm a Trinitarian person. We believe that God exists, three persons, one God. So I, I have wondered that. So he really grabbed my attention when he said that. And he said, the Holy Spirit is there. He said, the Holy Spirit is the grace and the peace that is given to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So when God gives us grace, that is the giving of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Jonathan Edwards agrees with this interpretation. I said, well, that settles it for me. (laughs) Jonathan Edwards said it, I believe it. But we don't have to take Jonathan Edwards' word for it. Turn to Philippians 4, where I think we can prove this from yet another passage. And I'm just emphasizing this so we really do understand when we have grace in our lives, when we have peace in our lives. And I think the same can be said of joy and all the fruits of the Spirit. This is God in our lives. Philippians 4.6, a verse that I hope you're very acquainted with. I hope you have it memorized, actually. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And then what's the result? And the peace of God. Now note that. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything is excellent, if there be anything worthy of praise, think about these things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the, notice, God of peace will be with you. So in verse 7, he says, the peace of God will be with you. And in verse 9, he says, the God of peace will be with you. What's the difference? I don't think there's any difference. I think they're interchangeable. I think that's the point. When you have peace in your life, when you're going through a difficulty, it's because you have God, the Holy Spirit. In your life. So you go through a difficulty, you pour out your heart to God in prayer with thanksgiving. He answers that prayer by giving you the Holy Spirit who produces peace in you. So I think it's exactly true. So when Paul says grace and peace to you, he means the Holy Spirit is given to you and He manifests Himself in this way and the Holy Spirit comes from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want you to see this grace in our lives 
This is God in our lives. This is, this is God working in our lives. When we use our spiritual gifts, God is working in us and through us. Again, God works sovereignly through us. He allows us to have the privilege to be a part of the process. And every Christian is to be a part of the process because they have a spiritual gift. Now, point two, how are we to be good stewards of God's grace? Recognize not only that we have a spiritual gift, but recognize, this is very simple as well, that our spiritual gifts must be used. Our spiritual gifts must be used. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So what should we do with our gifts? Use them to serve one another in the body of Christ. How should we serve? Any way you can. <laughs> Look for any opportunity to serve that God brings your way. But, in case you're wondering how to serve, we have our handy-dandy inserts. And all of you filled this out. Except for those of you who snuck in here a little later. I know who you are. I saw you. Uh, but during announcements, Bob said, I want you to take out the inserts. And I want you to grab the pen that's found in the chair. And most of you laughed when he said that. <laughs> But Bob said, take your pen out, and he said, put your name on there, and circle what you would like to do. Now, if you could, if you like, you can just circle one thing like this to make it easy. That's, that's what I did. You just, <laughs> just circle one thing, you know, and that'll make it very clear, you know what. Um, but in all, in all sincerity, we're, we're doing this on purpose, uh, because we want you to be fulfilled as a Christian. And you will not be fulfilled until you're using your spiritual gift. I mean, this, this is basic Christianity, is it not? God has given you a spiritual gift so that you would use it. So that it would be employed for building up the kingdom of God, for helping your brothers and sisters or in the life of unbelievers, depending on what your gift is. And very simply, we saw this at week one, when God gives you a gift, like a mina or whatever it is, we are to use that. We are not to bury it. We're not to wrap it up in a handkerchief. We're not to put it in the back of the closet somewhere. We are to use it so that the body of Christ can benefit. And this stewardship, in some ways, is a two-way street. You have a stewardship with your gifts. But as leaders, we have a responsibility for your gifts as well. I was listening to a pastor on one occasion and he said, we are stewards of God's people. We're stewards of their financial resources. We're also stewards of their spiritual gifts. And I thought, that, that's interesting. I never looked at it like that before. We're not only responsible for the well-being of the people, but we're also responsible in part, not wholly, but in part for helping them use their spiritual gifts. 
And I thought, as leaders in the church, we have to do whatever we can to help people use their gifts. If they don't know where their gifts are, and many Christians don't. I didn't know where my gift was when I first became a Christian. So you try different areas. But that's all we're trying to do. We're trying to help you to see where there's opportunities in this church. And of course, the list is endless. You could come up with any ministry that you wanted to. But we're trying to help you to use your gifts so that God can work in you and through you and you can know that you're doing what God is calling you to do. And in some ways, your, your spiritual gift may relate to the calling that God has on your life. Uh, my spiritual gift has resulted in not only a calling, but a vocation. And maybe it won't be that dramatic for you, but it can be just as powerful if you know, again, you have the gift of helps, and you use that week in and week out. You can go home on Sunday feeling so fulfilled that you did what God was calling you to do. So we're trying to help you, guide you, and direct you by talking about gifts and using them. And then just a final point uh, to help us be good stewards of God's grace. Recognize how your gift functions. And here Peter gives us two general examples in verse 11. He says, Whoever speaks as one speaking oracles of God. That sounds highfalutin, does it? Whoever speaks as one speaking oracles. The very oracles of God. Now, when you say it like that, it sounds like something that only the pastor says behind the pulpit. But oracles here simply means the words of God. And it is not just pastors and teachers who speak God's Word. Actually, all Christians are to speak God's Word. In Colossians 3.16, we're to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, and that includes Christians. So that when we teach and admonish one another, they can be built up. Uh, you, as an average Christian, need God's Word in you so that if brother or sister is going through a hard time, maybe even just talking on the phone, uh, God's Word can build them up. God's Word can be a means of grace to them. Ephesians 4.19 gives another example of how this grace of God comes through us. Ephesians 4, I think I said 19. Ephesians 4, 29. Ephesians 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. I'll just stop right there for a minute. So don't let corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only what's helpful for edification, for building up brothers and sisters in Christ, as fits the occasion. We want to be sensitive to the occasion. Okay? And when we do that, as Christians, if you have the NIV here, it's going to miss the point. Not, not entirely, but I don't like the translation. It says that it may benefit those who speak. The ESV, and I don't know about other translations. I didn't check them all. But the ESV translates it very literal that it may give grace to those who hear. And that is the Greek word here, charis. Grace. So when you as an average Christian are sensitive to what your brother and sister is going through and you speak a word to them that's appropriate, it can be grace to them. See what God is saying? Once again, you speak to them and grace comes from you to them. So again, God brings grace to people, but He does it through 
us. Very simple, but very important. And then the next general example Peter gives here is that when you serve, do it in dependency on God using His strength. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And I've said this before, but this is my favorite verse when we pray in my office before the service. When we all gather together, that we would serve in the strength that God provides so that He would be glorified through Jesus Christ. And when Paul served, he really did understand that he wasn't doing it by himself. And there's many verses, but let me just give you a couple. Colossians 1.29, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. So Paul says, I work, I, I toil, I sweat, I bleed from time to time, but I do it with His energy that's powerfully working in me. He, he's not doing it on His own strength. It's God's strength within Him. Charles Spurgeon was asked on one occasion how it was that he was able to do the, two, the work of two men. And he said, have you forgotten? We are two. He understood that God was working in him and God would strengthen him for all that he had to do. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 is a fascinating passage as well. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for your salvation. Let's be clear here. Work out the salvation that you already have with fear and trembling. That's sanctification. And he says you can do it. How's that? Verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So you can work out your salvation. You can live a godly life. You can walk in paths of righteousness. And you say, how can I do that? Because God is at work within you. That's how we never do it on our own. In the verse we saw earlier, 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul said, I worked harder than all the other apostles. And it sounds like he's bragging at first. <laughs> I worked harder than all those other guys. I'd be like me saying, I work harder than all these other pastors in town. Those guys, I work harder than all of them. But then he says, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. And really what he's saying, I hope you understand, is because of the Holy Spirit who is at work within, within me. Again, those are interchangeably. So Paul is recognizing, yes, I work very hard, but it's not because of me. It's because God has been gracious to me that I have been able to do the work that I do. And when that happens, then God gets all the glory. And that should be very important to us. Because whenever we use our gifts, we don't want people walking away thinking we're wonderful. I guess we can be a little honest to one extent we do, right? But we want people thinking God is so great. God has been so good to me. We want people praising God, 
thanking God. And that can happen when we use our gifts in the strength that He provides. Now, that's not where it stops. The verse concludes with what we commonly call a doxology. Uh, doxology, that comes from the Greek word for glory. Doxa, the word of glory. Or we just think of a word of praise. And every once in a while, Paul throw the, throws these doxologies out there. And, and you would think that they would come at the end of the letter. You know, you have the greeting and then he would write the letter and then they kind of close the letter. He would close with the doxology. Kind of like we conclude the service with the benediction. Um, but a lot of times we have them right in the middle of the passage and we say, well, where did that come from? I think they come from a heart that's overflowing. Paul can't help himself. And he says, I'm writing, so let's just go ahead and put it down. I think that's what's happening here. He is talking about Christians who are stewards of God's grace, using that grace to serve one another, using it in the strength that God provides so that God would be glorified. And I think Paul is dreaming, as it were, of what the church could be like if people really would serve like this. Oh, it would be incredible the glory that would abound to God, the dominion that would be established on earth. Oh, it would be amazing. And I think Paul is just caught up with wonder. And he says, to Him be it long, glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This breaks out with praise right in the middle of thinking about the gifts. Oh, how God would be glorified. All oh, the dominion is His. Forever and ever. Amen. Because he's just imagining what the body of Christ could be like. And let me leave you with that this morning. What, what could this church be like? What could Foss Lake Community Church be like if every Christian would use their spiritual gifts and serve? And you know what? We're not, we're not looking for you to head up a ministry. Just serve in any way that you can. Every little way of serving really does matter. It is not overlooked. Simplest things can help. And think of a body coming together. Everybody serving. Everybody employing their gifts. It, it would be like the grace of God just flowing out from everybody back and forth to one another. Incredible. So really do think about the list that we've provided for you. Really do pray over this. God has given you a gift. If you're a believer, God has given you a gift for a reason. Use that gift. Don't bury it. Build up the body of Christ. Experience the joy that comes from serving God. Knowing that in the end, God will be glorified through it all. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your grace that has been entrusted to our care. Father, it really is amazing to think about. Father, help us to be good stewards of Your very grace. Father, help us to employ our gifts. Father, help every single one of us in this room to see what our gifts are, to see where we can serve. Father, please open our eyes. Father, don't let us be overcome by timidity or fear in the use of our gifts. Father, help us to use them. And Father, may we see this church grow. 
Not because a handful of people are serving, but because all of us corporately are serving together as a team. Father, may we see that happening here. We pray that it would happen for Your glory through Jesus Christ. Amen.